I'm Felicity Huffman, and I'm prepared to pay an exorbitant sum to get my daughter into rowing lessons. And my name is Aunt Becky, and I will pay 500,000 colonial pounds to get my daughter Felicity into the College of William and Mary. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four. We made it. I'm Mary. And I'm Allison. And this is the show where we're reliving the American Girl series one book at a time with pop culture and all kinds of fun stuff along the way. And today it is a birthday party. It is Happy Birthday Felicity, which is book four of six. And this is a springtime story. You know what? I always love a birthday party. Me too. And, you know, especially a 90s party because this book came out in the 90s. And, you know, like 90s kid parties were really a thing unto themselves. And and we're going to relive some of those and get into that much later. But before we do, you know, Allison, I haven't spoken to you in a week or so. That's not true. We text every day. But I mean, you know, face to face. So what's going on with you? So since we've last recorded, you know, something that's been really important in my life for now, oh gosh, four years, is the case of the people against Adnan Syed. If you know me, you know this is part of my world, part of what I care about, part of what I research, and there's a new HBO special. So you've kind of been very deep into Elizabeth Holmes, and I respect that. For me, it's all about Baltimore police, Adnan Syed. Did he do it? Of course he didn't. If you're a guilter, fast forward. So I have been, you know, I've obviously listened to the original podcast and I've been, you know, not as fervent a fan as, or not a fan, but I guess advocate as I guess I would say you have been. And I feel a little guilty about that in this moment. Um, obviously, I'm just supporting Adnan because you've said that that is the right side to be on and I trust you on that. But what happened this week? He got denied. He was going to get a new trial and that got shut down. So his conviction was actually overturned. And now that has been challenged, unfortunately. So with his conviction being overturned, there was the possibility of him actually being released and going home in the interim before a new trial or the charges could have been dropped completely. Now it's actually like resetting the clock about three to five years. So that's really bad. It's it's quite bad, and I think part of it is, at the core of it, there's this mystery story, which is, you know, if this person did not murder Heyman Lee on January 13th, 1999, who did? And I think part of why we're drawn to these type of mysteries is we like history, and we're just missing so many parts of the story, and now people's memories are even more fragmented than 20 years ago when this started. Do you have any theories of the crime that you're willing to share right now? Like who did it? You know, who had motivation, opportunity? I think we have literally no clue. And I think part of what's been coming out over the past few years is there's this kind of false binary that Serial put out into the world. Full respect. That's why we're here. You know, that's what got a lot of us into podcasts. But Bottom line, people have been led to believe it's one person or another person and or they were accomplices working together. And the reality is there's more and more evidence that it's probably neither of these people and there's been too much sloppiness surrounding it and in the legal case. And now we don't know. 
that's actually kind of terrifying for everyone involved. I mean, it's just kind of like, where do you even start? I feel like if there were to be a person involved in this orbit who deserves her own American Girl series, there's, of course, his primary advocate. Her name is Rabia Chaudhry. But there's also this woman named Susan Simpson who got to the bottom of so many of these mysteries. I would read like 18 American Girl books just about her. Wow. Shout out to her. Yeah. She's very impressive. And unlike Felicity, when, you know, there is crime happening she doesn't just sort of insert herself halfway she solves it i'm into that so do you think the hbo documentary which i know that you're watching avidly is helping this whole situation or what i think we're supposed to get a very big bombshell this week and i'm very excited about that coming and perhaps by the time this is into the world we'll have a very different theory of the case but as you and i have talked about you need a hero Ain't that the truth? I mean, you know, most of my life has been in pursuit of an HBO Go password. (laughs) Um, And I recently just got access to one and I won't reveal the source. So I'm hoping that I can catch up on this ASAP. And of course, we'll all be watching the Theranos doc that has already dropped and I'm waiting on. Of course. And this week kind of takes us to a different place than our normal. It kind of made us dabble in military history. Thanks, Felicity. Yeah, thanks a lot, girl. And in terms of our print culture life, magazines are super important to us, but usually it's Us Weekly and People and not gunpowder storage facilities of the 18th century. That's right. And I'm still not, you know, I I would love to say that I've been convinced that this is a more compelling magazine, but I just want to say that, you know, if offered an Us Weekly, a People, um, (laughs) an Entertainment Weekly, a a real simple even, which actually makes me feel like an adult for about 10 minutes. I think I'm still going to pick those. But, you know, it was worth trying. It was worth trying. Yeah. And a caper in a magazine is really at the heart of this story and makes me think about, again, our early conversations. Felicity just overhears stuff all the time. Like, no wonder we thought she overheard John Adams. She's at the heart of every major colonial plot. I mean, she can hide behind a bush and listen in on (laughs) practically really anything. And you know what? I respect that. She's like the TMZ of the revolutionary era where like instead of like Harvey with like an iced coffee, like, yeah, what? Yeah. Like, what do you what have you heard about Jay Leno? She's like, (gasps) like behind a bush, like, oh, my God, I I, the raids happening tonight. Like she's she's also she's also very much the max of catfish. You know how he's always making recordings on like a nine dollar digital camera that never surfaced. That's her. Should we get into the book? Should we tell the people? Let's do it. Let's get into the book. This episode is brought to you by Podcorn. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to advertisers for native podcast sponsorships. What does that actually mean? Well, for our purposes, it means that we don't have to run ads on our show for products and services we don't believe in. We take this community really seriously, so we've in an ongoing way been trying to match with products that actually meet our mission and our values and are things that we're proud to support. So Podcorn has been a really wonderful service where we've been able to log on to their site and find a bunch of advertisers who want to work with us that we're excited to work with as well. If you're 
you're a creator and you're looking for brands that you might want to work with, Podcorn is a great option. They have a marketplace mission to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and control. And you never give up exclusive rights to your podcast. Click the link in our show notes to learn how to sign up and to learn more about Podcorn. That's right. So just head over to podcorn.com and get started today. So here is my rapid recap, which comes from the publisher which is that spring brings Felicity's 10th birthday and a visit from grandfather. He gives Felicity a precious gift, a guitar that belonged to her grandmother. Felicity is so enchanted with the guitar that she disobeys her mother and takes it out of the house to show her friend Elizabeth. Her parents are angry when they learn what she's done. They refuse to believe a message Felicity has overheard. That means danger for the colonists. Felicity risks her parents' anger again when she decides to alert the colonists herself. And that ends in an exclamation point, but I don't really feel like it's worth celebrating. Definitely not. So the most important thing that we get is a DOB. April 21, 1765. We've been waiting for these digits now for a couple books, and we're going to get into this later. But let's just say that this is a podcast that takes seriously matters of astrology, and we have turned our sights and our talents on one Felicity Merriman. Yeah, we have a lot of historical sources, astrological sources, and emotional depth of mind to bring to this. I do think it's important to this guitar a little bit. So it comes from grandpa, no first name. That never happens with adults. Yeah. (laughs) Who is, we're going to describe as both ranty and wealthy. So grandpa lives at King's Creek, which is a plantation not too far from Williamsburg. And we know that from extra sources from the Felicity universe. And he's giving her this gift because it was important to the family. And Felicity immediately pivots and is like, I know I have this precious fairly heirloom. Let me make Annabelle feel bad. Yeah. And I will say that I am elated that Annabelle has returned to our lives because I really did miss her in book three. I missed her too, and I like that Felicity is sort of with peers who keep her in check, as we've mentioned, but she was given like one direction, oh, she wishes, um, (laughs) that she is not to take this out because it's very precious. So she immediately goes and she's showing off, she's having Miss Manderly, she's having everyone touch it, but in the course of these guitar hijinks, she and Ben and another important person in town overhear a plot to steal gunpowder from the magazine where it's being stored. That's right. And, you know, it's very easy for us to forget. And by us, I mean mainly you and I to forget that this is all playing out against the backdrop of the American Revolution, because obviously we're taking things like her overturning a teacup, her weird mind games with horses <laughs> and all of this. And, you know, moms and her Arsenia, more seriously than the fact that, you know, the American Revolution is is building in the background of this book. And in this book, in a lot of ways, they force us to deal with that more than they have in quite some time. And I'm going to look at you, Valerie Tripp, author. She made some really careful choices, I think. So the month that Felicity was born was actually the month that the colonists in Virginia would have learned about the Stamp Act, which was an important event in kind of elevating folks' frustrations against the empire. So against what you could think of as the English or the British. And 
in the course of this book are real events that did actually take place around April 20th and 21st of 1775. So again, she's turning 10 years old and her early life, that day she's born and that 10th birthday are kind of bookends for the start of the Stamp Act crisis. And then this this early kind of event that's going to force people in Williamsburg to actually create a militia. So it's these two really important things. Of course, she didn't choose either of these at random. Yeah, but I mean, when you say it like that and you realize that Felicity has grown up her whole life really dealing with colonial protest and at least conversations probably about Virginia's relationship to the other colonies and to Great Britain or the empire I do find it a little hard to believe the sense of wonder she has over seeing the militia drill, which like gets drilled, pun intended, into us repeatedly. Like she seems like she has a new toy. She's never seen the militia drill before anyone like fire a gun or drums being played. But when you look at her timeline, she's literally grown up around these protests, around these issues. She's probably seen like street demonstrations and the militia like spoiler alert has existed well before her lifetime so that part feels a little weird when you hear her timeline kind of all together and I think maybe you know one way to think of it is there have been all these smaller events but revolution is so unthinkable and then in April of 1775 these two really critical events happen one of which is the battles of Lexington and Concord. And then according to folks in Virginia, this sort of comparably important event happens with the magazine. And I don't mean to go like Boston Tea Party on this, but I've never heard of this until now. And you know what, like not to make a different comparison, but you know, Massachusetts has Paul Revere. And what we've learned in this book is that Williamsburg had one Felicity Merriman. (laughs) I do know that Patrick Henry was involved in this, but of course, in this story, we are led to believe that, you know, a nine-year-old who's about to have a birthday is actually responsible. Right. And it it is going to be played off as a failed or aborted or put down slave insurrection that the governor has put down. So he's going to play it like, oh, I've just saved you all and really... He's just moving resources they might use to rebel against him. And I'm going to say this, like no one is commenting on the fact that four months ago, everyone was real glad to see Felicity drain the entire family resources to have a dress the same as his wife. (laughs) Yeah. Like we all remember, we just read that book. We just read that book and they could not have been more thrilled that she was going to go there. So none of this really tracks. Like it's like, what the heck happened in the past four months? Like I would love to know like some cliff notes. And also like, this is unrelated, but it's like, okay, Felicity was sort of down in the dumps in book three because she didn't think she was going to get to go to that dance and whatnot. And was also kind of dealing with Ben kind of making her feel like her only value was as a domesticated girl. But there's something about what having a birthday did to her like it (laughs) it kind of reminds me of people around january every year that are like oh my god it's the new year like new year new me all of that nonsense and it's almost like they're on roids but really it's just Mm -hmm. like their own like self-talk about what's going to happen to them in the new year like that's felicity with her birthday yes someone you know mentioned to her that she's going to be double digits and she's like i need to be twice as much 
Yeah. And guess what? We're not really prepared for that yet. Like, please take a beat. I can't. No. So we kind of learn about a new hobby in every single book. All of a sudden, because it's spring, Felicity is a master gardener. I didn't see that coming. Nope. Like, this has never been mentioned. Every book, she's like, well, of course I love horses. And then in the next book, it's like, well, of course I love, you know, dolls and, and dresses and whatnot. Now it's like, well, of course, I've always been a master gardener. And I've had my own dedicated garden for these many years. And music. She dabbles in music. She's the person who says, anyway, here's Wonderwall. Yeah, exactly. By the magazine. Oh, my God. Felicity in this book with the guitar was so upsetting to me because... So let me just take this back for a second. So Grandpa, who's a total crank comes rolls into town on his little horse cart and he brings them a lamb which is cute but it's also not a horse which is what she really wants so it's kind of like a weird grandparent gift where they're like hey i know you really wanted an ipad but um here's a cassette walkman that i found knocking around my attic you know i thought the kids might like that like, it's just not what they asked for, but they're very elated with it. And of course, Grandpa's like, you're going to take care of this right foreshadowing that Felicity will be tasked with as a caretaker and will probably fail. And <laughs> he gives her this guitar, which was his late wife's. Would love to know how she passed and the circumstances, but that's neither here nor there. And it's a beautiful guitar. And of course, Felicity's just seen Annabelle play one and wanted to hold it and Annabelle of course denies her because it's Annabelle and she gets this guitar and they're like look whatever you do this guitar cannot leave the house it's so precious it's both precious for what it is a guitar but it's also precious because it was grandma's and whatever and she's like I hear everything that you're saying (laughs) but the, the deal is I really need to make Annabelle jealous So that's going to have to trump both grandpa's grief and his emotional investment in this material object. You know, my mom has just recovered her health, but of course I'm going to put that to the side and stress her out even more. But to me, it's like, let me just stand outside of this for a second. So I have played guitar, not well, but played guitar since I was like 12. And I also got a guitar as a birthday gift. There is no way in my right mind, if I really loved guitars if Felicity loved guitars as much as she said that you would look outside see that it's raining and grab your acoustic guitar made of wood and be like I'm gonna take this outside no case no nothing to show it off to someone it's like are you kidding me like that's insane and I remember when I first got my guitar when I was 12 13 I knew nothing about guitar playing and this was you know, what it felt like the beginning of the internet, but there's something called tabs, which is basically um, a, a notation system that is for lazy people like me who don't want to learn how to read music. And you can immediately start playing Wonderwall or whatever it is you want to play. For me, it was probably Beatles music. And but so I could play that inside. But in order to like make it sound like anything, you needed the guitar to be tuned. Then I would take it, you know, if I knew my neighbor knew how to tune a guitar that's worth walking your guitar across the neighborhood, but you put it in a case like a human. Yeah. I mean, uh, this was deeply upsetting to me. So music plays this huge role in this entire book. And there's this fascinating sort of parallel where we meet a new character who also has a musical instrument. And that character is Isaac. So Isaac, we are introduced to in the context of a walk that Felicity takes downtown. And he is described as a free black person who is living 
in Williamsburg. We don't get a ton of details on much like Rose and Marcus. We probably never will. But Isaac is playing the drums and we are learning that he is a drummer in the core and that he has all of these important messages that he can convey. And he's this very skilled drummer. And I don't know if you want to describe the cringy scene that plays out between Isaac Felicity and Ben, who's a hanger. Okay. This is profoundly awkward and uncomfortable. So Felicity is out in her garden because of course she's hashtag nature girl and um, <laughs> Isaac comes up and Ben sort of comes over and they're like, oh, my God, like, it's our friend. Like, it's our hashtag black friend, Isaac. Hello. And he they're like, oh, my God, we would love to know how to drum like you drum. You're such an amazing drummer. He's the drummer in the local militia. And so he says, like, well, I don't have my drum with me right now. So the only thing I can do is to teach you is to kind of like slap out some beats on top of your fence post here. So he demonstrates multiple like patterns of drum um, rhythms that signify different things. But it's just really uncomfortable because you can just feel the 90s coming through this passage because (laughs) Valerie really wants us to understand that though this is a world where slavery exists, it's also simultaneously and inexplicably a a world where racism doesn't exist. So, you know, Marcus is around. He's not in this book, but he's around. Um, And Isaac is here as a free black man. And though slavery exists, like, Isaac is their friend and there's and there's no sense of any differences between them. He's totally treated as their peer. Um, they have these fun conversations with him. And it's just it's absolutely insane. Can I share? I mean, I would say in a cringy scene, it's a it's a bizarre kind of moment of levity, which is Ben is explaining um, or Ben is asking questions rather of Isaac. And Isaac says, and this beat is my favorite. It's called gross beef. <laughs> It means dinner is ready. Isaac beat out a lively roll. Pumpity pump, pumpity pum. Isaac gave Ben the sticks and Ben tried playing the beats. Then Felicity had a turn. You do well, Felicity, Isaac smiled. And it's like the stakes are actually quite high for Isaac in all situations. And that is alluded to later in the book. Like he actually has this important role of conveying information, but in this moment, it's like everyone loves roast beef. <laughs> it's just like it's so weird. It's a really strange moment, and I think you're kind of spot on where so many differences are consistently flattened in these stories, and there's both inclusion and a total reluctance to actually think about difference. Like there's a scene very early on where laundering is happening just outside the house and we see rose and we see mrs merriman and they have these massive mattresses and they're both sort of giggling in delight and felicity has been asked to do a task and of course it's you know going terrible because it's felicity and it's like but what's really happening in this scene like we've just learned that isaac and other free people of color who are living in williamsburg like they actually do the laundry it's apple butter 3.0 it seems like her participation is mainly to serve her later as someone who will supervise her own household so that she knows what um, labor should look like and what the result of labor should look like, but not necessarily be equipped or have experience actually doing the labor. So she's there to be a supervisor. And 
It's just very odd. When I was reading this book, I was actually reflecting back on, um, you know, when you were in school and they would have international days. I don't know if like you had this too, but Uh, I was Trinidad and Tobago, which was, of course, not appropriate. (laughs) I was Egypt. And so that was kind of inappropriate. I basically just brought pita bread, which I don't even think is right. But I was kind of like, I'm a white girl from Connecticut. I don't know. And like, I wasn't really allowed to use the internet that extensively at that time. And this is when I was in fourth grade. But it's like, that's what the 90s were like in terms of multiculturalism, where every everybody, all of these differences are just completely flattened. Every kid can be a different country. And somehow they will all receive equal, if, you know, ill-equipped representation, inappropriate representation. And, you know, it's this like false sense that we're all equal, that there's no difference. And by doing so, I think it's to create good feeling about like, oh, this is how we conquer racism or this is how we conquer difference. But it actually, in alighting those differences, you you cut off important conversations about power differences, gender differences, and racial differences, all these really important differences that shape the kind of opportunities people have in their world and all kinds of things. And that's just running throughout this book. And it's kind of cringy reading it now. Yeah. And we've mentioned before that, you know, the Felicity universe just gets bigger and bigger with time. And so in the late 90s, they made this series and it was called The World of or Felicity's World in this case. And, you know, there are opportunities where people who are working later, of course, for Mattel, but initially for Pleasant Company, they are asked to kind of expound on these characters. And frankly, the way that that is done isn't much better. You know, he's described in this book as a free person, you know, as a freeman. And it says, free blacks like Isaac worked for pay. By a slave standards, they were lucky, but they did not have the same rights that white colonists had. Just like a slave, Isaac had to stay off the streets at night. No one would check to see if he was a free black rather than a slave before arresting him. And it's this really strange kind of drop of knowledge that is actually deeply troubling and there isn't a lot more around that this this notion that he would be in danger if he was out on the streets at night and caught or perceived to be doing something wrong regardless of what he was doing is actually a really central plot point in this book and there is no way I caught that when I read it. No, it, it's kind of hiding in plain sight. So I have my book with me here and just to catch folks up. So you know, the whole guitar thing is happening and it's like this plot line is taking up a lot of real estate. I'm not sure why. While that's happening, it's made clear that grandpa is a royalist and he really doesn't like the Patriots or whatever's going on with their cause. And everyone's like, oh my God, I hope like Ben's not around a lot when grandpa's there, which again, and we say this every episode, why is Ben like, why is Ben always around? He's like that character in like a 90s sitcom. Like I'm trying to think, (laughs) <laughs> like every sitcom has this where it's like growing pains. Um, oh my he's God. Kimmy he's Gibbler. Kimmy Gibbler. He is Kimmy the total Gibbler. Kimmy Gibbler of this book. And they're like, oh my God, like Ben, Kimmy, like do not say anything <laughs> about the cause in front of grandpa. Like he will lose it. And he's like, whatever guys, like, you know, I just have to be here. And like, I got, I got to be me basically. And it's like, you're not even in this family. Like I can't stress this enough. Like you are not in this family. Can I just quickly say shout out to Andrea Barber, who really did amazing things with her life post Full House. She pursued a master's degree abroad. She did a lot of important work with women's empowerment. And I just want to say, like, 
blessed. You know, she took the Gibbler lemons that life gave her and she made a beautiful She lemonade. has done beautiful. And I'm really glad that you let us give her a platform to just celebrate her because a lot of our 90s sitcom queens, you know, life after the 90s sitcom high is kind of rough for everyone involved. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to get into the Kurt Cameron of it all because... That whole left behind thing still rocks me to my core, and I I can't even speak on that. And of course, Candace Cameron Bure, like she's still out here. You spoke a truth to me, and I unfollowed her Insta, even though I loved her stories of her reading out loud. Thank you. I did that. Thank you very that much. That was important. I didn't. I didn't know where her politics were. They're not as good as Kimmy Gibbler, a.k.a. Andrea Barber's politics, but I didn't know that. We're all learning. We're on we're a all journey. Learning. Not Felicity. She's definitely not, Felicity, not learning. She's, her learning curve is just a straight line. But, um, you know, it is kind of tough when you're a queer person or you're a person who loves a queer person or just loves queer people and you decide that you're not going to support people and causes who are critical or in some way pose a threat because it's kind of like every single day I open my Daily Mail app, which is my newspaper of choice. Um, and I just see someone else where I'm like, oh my God, you too. And, you know, like the Chris Pratt of it all, like it's just... It's hard out here in 2019, Aww. harder than I thought it would be. But, you know, thank you for your service, and I appreciate that. But, you know, Andrea Barber, she's she's on our great list. She's part of our American Girl Hall of Fame. So shout out to you, girl. I'm glad, I'm we, glad just we did that, that little PSA. I feel good about that. Um, and, you know, we are not alone in observing this as kind of a both a central thread and an unattended to issue in the books. I want to cite a reviewer named Jay Hamburger Clan. <laughs> I couldn't have made that up if I tried, but I kind of love it. And this person writes of her spunky, sprightly qualities and then says, other than that, the story has little that rates a comment. And then as an aside, well, I do wonder if her family's kitchen helper is an employee or property. Slavery is only mentioned in passing in the series. And I think it would be a different set of books if, you know, characters like Rose and like Isaac were were made central. But I think there's a way for these series to deal with their existence and the complexities of their existence very differently. And I learned in the context of this story that people who worked at Colonial Williamsburg in the 90s had a big influence on how they were written. For example, Felicity was going to be Lucy, and it was an employee at Colonial Williamsburg who suggested Felicity. And I bring that up because that institution has struggled with how to talk about slavery and how to have first-person historians and interpreters reenacting that part of history. And there's this kind of famous anecdote in the public history world, which is that early on, the people who were interpreting enslaved people at that institution were spending time in the campus where enslaved people would have been. But those are often literally less visible places. And so people weren't seeing them or were startled when they saw them. And it didn't create for a good interpretive environment. And I feel like that's kind of what's playing out in these books as well. Like we're having Rose appear in the window, but we don't hear anything from her or about yeah, her. Yeah. And even when we do directly hear from people of color in these books, um, they quickly have the very harsh realities of their lives when they actually voice them. Um 
very quickly dismissed by someone like Felicity. So there's a key moment in this book when Felicity um, is hiding behind a bush. She she forgets her guitar out in a garden, of course, and of Elizabeth's house when she goes over to basically God. make everybody jealous. So she runs back because she doesn't want to, she's hoping she can get the guitar, sneak it back into her house, and her parents and grandpa will be none the wiser. When she's out in Elizabeth's garden, she spots the guitar and is instantly relieved and then hears someone talking, hides behind a bush, and hears Elizabeth's father, I think, be told by a member of the British militia that the plan is to um, move the gunpowder that's in the magazine out of the magazine that evening so that the militia, colonial militia, could not potentially draw on it to rebel against the crown. So obviously she's like gasping and is like, oh my God, um, you know, somebody should do something to quote myself in a line that I was supposed to deliver in a third grade play, but was too terrified to deliver. Um, she runs home, like gets caught that she's sneaking the guitar in. Everyone's really disappointed in her. Grandpa is kind of heavy handed with his disappointment. Um, and then she tries to tell them what she's overheard. And the dad's like, enough, go to bed. Like, I'm sending you to your room enough. And then she, sne- she like, can't let it go, sneaks out in the middle of the night, wakes Ben up, makes her go, him go with her. Then they go to Isaac because their bright idea is that as the drummer of the militia, he can sound the alarm if they go to the magazine and it's, in fact, being emptied out. So they go to Isaac's house and wake him up. And he says to um, Felicity, it is very dangerous for a black person like me to be seen on the streets in town at night. If I were found, dot, 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 he shook his head, it would not go well for me. And this is the truly stunning part. I know, said Felicity, but you must (laughs) trust me, Isaac. We've got to stop them from stealing the powder. Please, you must help. And the next line, Isaac didn't say another word. Honestly, it's because he's now terrified of this crazy white chick who stormed into his house. And he's like, what else is there to say? It's over. It's over. And it's it's like the ease with which she dismisses what could be a mortal fear um, on his part. You know, if, if, if you were a free black person or an enslaved person and you're caught out after dark and you can't explain your whereabouts or what you're doing. And think about this visual. He would be alone with two white children. Like, I mean, it's... It's a real fear on his part that, you know, he could raise suspicion um, if caught by uh, a not a friendly um, townsperson. And for Felicity as a nine-year-old to just say, like, eh, whatever, like, my thing is more important right now. Like, enough with your thing. My thing really matters right now. It's both very childish, but also just demonstrates all kinds of privilege in one moment that maybe Valerie um, wasn't intending. But it's a really weird moment in the book, and it really gave me pause reading it as an adult. I think it's the early 90s equivalent of yeah. I don't see race. And it's a way to kind of gloss over, as you're saying, the very real fears that he's bringing. And quite literally, this is the fear or the fake fear that's been articulated, this idea that there might be an uprising. That's why the gunpowder has to be removed. And then Felicity's next thought is, so who's the perfect person to (laughs) come with to roam around to the magazine? It's like, Isaac is definitely the one. And it's like, you shared the roast beef Right. You have nothing in common with this man, except that you both enjoy roast beef. Like, the end. Full stop. That's it. And also... 
it's kind of amazing. And I mean, I don't know how much consciousness we expect a nine, almost 10 year old white girl in Colonial Williamsburg to have. But when you think about what investment um, the revolution would have for a free black person and especially for an enslaved person um, to be to side with the patriots, like what's driving him to be a part of the militia? Why would he care about this? Is his life going to get better? Is Marcus's life going to get better if he were to be part of the militia? Um, You know, we don't really get that because, again, every person of color in this book exists kind of outside of us. We don't get a sense of their inner life at all, which is actually kind of a problem when you're trying to tell this story. And I'll just say this, like, there's so much we'll never know about Isaac. But the question I want answered is, did Nick Cannon sit and read this and draw um, draw, draw Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. I'm just gonna say this. It's like, we wouldn't have Mariah Carey's twins <sighs> okay, without Okay, you this know book. how to reach me by somehow <laughs> making this about Mariah Carey. T minus two weeks till I see her in concert. That's not a joke. That's so wonderful. And I mean, the emancipation of Mimi, is she winking back (gasps) at us and Isaac? Like the emancipation that didn't happen. She's like, you know what books I don't read my twins? Let me tell you. Felicity. Felicity. Um, I have every reason to believe that Nick Cannon was like sitting back in his bean chair one day. You know, he has like a beanbag chair. Is like, that's how I imagine most of his furniture. And he's like counting. He gets a call from his business manager and they're like, inexplicably wild and out has made you x amount of dollars in royalties none of us saw this coming what do you want to do with your thousands of dollars and he looks you know dramatically at his bookshelf where there just lies a single copy of happy birthday felicity and he why not and he's like i mean why not an idea and just to be clear we do both actually understand that Drumline is of a much larger and important history of music at HBCUs and other colleges. But I do like to think that somehow Mariah Carey is I like is to involved. imagine that Mariah Carey is involved in everything meaningful, both broadly in pop culture and in my life. You know, she is the only person who really understood how to dunk on everybody in the 10-year challenge, which was nothing more than a means of gathering artificial intelligence about how people age. And basically, when she posted two Oopsie. of the same photo and said, time is not a thing I acknowledge, it was like, as a historian, that's a tough thing to hear from one of your heroes, that she doesn't understand or acknowledge the thing that you literally study and care deeply about but at the same time like she's beyond history she's beyond time so Mimi is an Aries and I think it's it's an important time for us to talk about our last piece but probably the most important piece and critical thing we'll ever have to say about Felicity specifically should we get into our pop culture so yeah let's get into some pop culture AG So we did some serious digging. And as we mentioned, our qualifications and not qualifications many times for this. So did I find an almanac from the year and month that Felicity was born? Yeah, I did. I found an annotated one from 1765. So we discovered that she was born April 21st, 1765. And my hands on an almanac from that year with that month because I needed lunar I'm so cycle impressed intel. By this. Thank you. And as part of our previous studies, you know, of course, we're familiar with almanacs. We know that they were both a way to get weather predictions, a way that people would often record important information. Felicity's a gardener. She's going to be all over that. She's going to have her important Virginia almanac. But Felicity is an earth sign. 
I am wow. also an earth sign. A very <laughs> thank you. A very basic sketch is that they're grounded and they bring people back to earth. Conservative, realistic, but also very emotional, sticking to material realities and material goods. They are practical, loyal, and stable. I feel like that's the perfect pawn because she loves horses. <laughs> I think that's true. Where are you getting this? Is this this isn't from the almanac, right? They didn't have this in 1765. Oh no, they wish they had that insight. But like two really striking things. First of all, this book was first published on your birthday in 1992. Can I divulge who you share a birthday with? Please do. Okay, so you share a birthday with both J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter. It's a really big deal, except that unlike J.K., I'm not, you know, so dropping tweets about characters I've created being gay after the fact. You know, I know that I'm gay live and in real time, so I'm not going to have to drop that after the fact. Did you see that she's been doing that? We are going to. Well, and we are going to drop truth about Molly, whether people are prepared for it or not, is its own. That's going to be its own thing. And I already have feelers out about that. So I'm very excited. Very excited. But this book was released on July 31st, greatest day of the year, 1992. So this book, I mean, this book could be in a millennial crisis by now. I think it is in a millennial crisis right now. I had to know who shares a birthday historically with Felicity. And like, yes, I understand that she is a creation of Valerie Tripp. But it matters to me that she shares a birthday with James McAvoy, Ooh. Jason Simpson, okay. OJ's son, Charlotte Bronte. Ooh, like that. J- Jason Duggar, lesser known Duggar, nope. but still part of the can. Nope. Okay. <laughs> Tony Danza. Interesting. Iggy Pop. Into it. Max Weber. And very critical, Rachel Lindsay, who was the Bachelorette in the previous season. Wow. That's a coup. And I, I think Val was straight up trolling with this. Queen Elizabeth II. <laughs> wow you know what she's a true queen this whole book about the revolution and queen elizabeth ii shares a birthday with the title character i i don't think there's enough tape metaphorically in the world to capture how we feel about her i don't even know where to begin with us talking about our love for queen elizabeth ii i mean it's like there is no well deep enough for us for the knowledge that we want to have of her, for the respect that we have for her. And now let me just say this, and I think this is maybe a difference between us, but maybe not. I don't care at all about any other member of her family. Whoa. That's not true. I love the queen mom, RIP. She was a special, beautiful flower. Um, I, but what I mean is I don't really care for Prince Charles. And I'll say this, this past summer, I had the opportunity to go to Buckingham Palace and go on their basically house tour which is only open seasonally. And I do recommend it. It's worth it. It's really interesting. Here's something that was bad about the tour. First of all, I whipped out my phone. So you go through this like kind of tent before you get to go into the palace. And they have all these like really special photos of Queen Elizabeth II in the tent on the walls. And they're not like public knowledge. They're part of the royal collection. So of course, I whip my phone out because I see this photo of Queen Elizabeth II with her camera and she looks like she's in her 20s and she loves to take photos. So I wanted to take a photo of it to send to you and immediately got yelled at by staff from Buckingham Palace. So that was a tough way to begin my tour. Like tough but, but this fair. Is like, this is like textbook Leo behavior, <laughs> like much like the stone lions outside. It's like there's one explicit rule and you're like, yes, but they don't Doesn't understand it, that. Mike's exactly. Feeling. I was like, look, <laughs> I came here prepared to feel and prepared to break 
the only stated rule you have at will. And that's kind of what I did. But you know, when you're getting in line, they're like, hey, it's an audio tour. Good news. Each room that you go in, you basically press this button and you get like information about the room that you're in and some of the objects. But then there's a special message at the end of each, you know, like snippet from Prince Charles because it's his 50th anniversary of being Prince of Wales. Uh. And literally Anna and I were like, oh, like God, nobody cares. So, you know, you go through this like grand hall at some point, which has massive amounts of paintings and um, works of art from the Royal Collection, which is incalculable in terms of its value. But then you go into this little side room and immediately I'm furious because I see a sign that says, this is a special exhibit put together by the Prince of Wales. And I'm like, nobody cares. Nobody asked for this. And like, basically, this deprived us of seeing a different room because they turned that room into this. And they were like, Ugh. he even designed the layout of the room. And it's like, you guys came into me. Imagine how wild this is. Like, he put pillows on the floor. Like, this is crazy. And it's like, this man free associated a Pier 1. Like, that's what happened. He put pillows on the floor. There was weird, like, tchotchkes and stuff. And then there's paintings on the wall. But what's fascinating is there's all these pictures of the queen and of his sons and of his wife, but there's no no photos, no portraits of Philip, which is fascinating and I think very telling. But that is her home, and I was just there to pay homage to her. God bless. Oh, my God. Is this why Felicity's best friend is Elizabeth? <gasps> Hello. Oh, my God. I wonder. I love it. Thanks for the link. Foul trip. I just this like two days ago, I don't even want to get deep into this because I'm still like raging with fury in a Leo way about this, but I went to my local public library and, you know, I'm just like trolling the shelves, whatever jumps out at me. And my library helpfully has a little thing inside each cover of the book where people can hand write reviews and all they have to reveal about themselves is their gender if they choose and their age. And then they can like just go wild. Like they can give a book a number out of 10 or and or write a comment. I see a bio of King Edward the dot 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 seventh, Queen Victoria's successor. I may have gotten the number wrong. I am ne- I am always in pursuit of information that can help me understand and appreciate both Queen Victoria and Queen Queen Elizabeth II. So I open this book and I'm like, I don't know if I really need this or not. Like he is one of the he is like a monarch I know like little about lesser about, but I know he's bad news and that's about it. I open the cover and it just says female 93 and she writes nine out of 10. (laughs) This book is very readable, very fair, kept my attention. It's a 500 page book. And if it kept a 93 year old woman's attention, I was like, I'm getting this. Go to check it out. Literally the machine starts yelling at me. I have to go to speak to an actual person, which I don't enjoy because I've been letting these late fees ride for a long time. And basically they were like, you owe $10. We're not letting you leave. And I was like, what? No. Not okay. Because no. you know what? The money doesn't stay in the library. I'd be happy to give them money if it stayed in the library. It goes to like the town fund. I don't care about that. Go buy your own lawnmower. I'm over it. I'll say this. My town has blessed me with several of these books. And in the course of reading one of them, I like to imagine that the child who read it before me was enjoying a pudding cup because I don't like to imagine what else it could be if not that. <laughs> ah, no. I I'm not refuse. making pathological humor. I'm just, I'm just saying, if it's not chocolate pudding, I don't know what it was. My brother refuses to read library books because he thinks they're so nasty, and he quite seriously was like, "You read those with surgical gloves on, correct?" 
Now, keep in mind, our mom is a librarian and raised us like in that library, like taking us to work with her. And he's like, yeah, unless it's medical gloves, I'm not touching one of those books now. I just I would guarantee most public I think it's like most public airport kiosks are filthier than the toilets. Uh, I don't want to think about that. It's like, yeah, we live in a post germ theory world like as opposed to felicity but there are times when it's like man felicity like you lived in you get to the like the gift of not having to be like constantly consumed with guilt that you know like you touch a gas pump and you're about to die from some communicable disease now i'll say this like there are you know earth sign things and other taurus intel that we can draw about felicity but i'm gonna say like the internet has mixed signals on what her sign means about her this odyssey article that you sent me pegs her as an aries she's not she's not she's categorically not and i actually think that it's very clear that she's a taurus because you know i've been studying a taurus behavior kind of as an anthropologist for about a week or so with the knowledge that we were doing this and you know i don't know if she's comfortable with me you know like outing culture but um my partner is a taurus i just have to say that is she cussed? Uh, May 13th? No. no. And she's a true Taurus in every sense of the word. And she would kind of have to be to be with me because I'm so like in outer space. So I kind of need someone who's grounded to even me out. And she's also very stubborn, like Felicity. Mm. And so it's just kind of like there's no possible way you could read Felicity as an Aries. I just don't think there is. And if people disagree with us, like get at us on the Facebook group and on Twitter and wherever. But I don't think we're wrong about this. And we learned something kind of shocking, which is that there's a whole cluster of April babies that are in the American girl world. So Rebecca Rubin is born in April. Addie Walker, who we're going to get to, is April 9th. Felicity is April 21. And then, honest to God, the most shocking thing ever, Molly is April 22. I reject that. I 100% reject that. That doesn't make sense. You know, and as you know, no, we just passed Josefina's birthday. So it was like, pour it out. We totally were respectful about it. We marked it. But it's like, what is with this cluster of April babies? What are they trying to tell us? We've gone into this before. We've tried to find Valerie Tripp's birthday and we didn't. But I need to know when Pleasant Rollins, she's the the real genesis of all this, what her deal is. I bet she's a Virgo. Oh, man. I'm like kind of irrationally terrified of Pleasant. And I don't know why, but everything I've read about her, <gasps> I'm just like... March 8th. Wow. International Women's Day. What a blessing. It's like she planned it. No. It's like she planned it. It is like, I think the universe planned it. Wow. That's really, oh, she's Pisces. Hmm. Okay. We'll deal with that some other time. We want to hear from you. If you have an astrological affiliation with one doll over another, take a quiz. We'll link to some of them. Look at the deets. We need to hear from you. We need to know what this means for you. Yeah, we need to know. And one of the ones we're going to link to helpfully says that all Leos are affiliated with Molly. And that's the one that I'm going to stick with. And I just need that. And I'm going to say this. If you don't believe in astrology, that's okay. But I do want you to make a mental box of things that you believe that you're willing to be a little bit flexible on because I think this might be helpful to you. 
It could be. And we're also going to include a link in the show notes to an article that was in the Atlantic a couple years ago about why millennials are so prone to or have like been responsible for a resurgence of um, the popularity of astrology. And in some part, it's because there's a perception that we're living in a chaotic time and astrology offers a way of, you know, assigning meaning and categories to that chaos. And so even if you don't believe in the ideas themselves, um, you know, just wanting something to assign order to chaos is, is something to keep your, keep an openness to. Although I guess I don't want to say that because that's also similar thinking to why people get into Scientology and I don't want to encourage that. Scientology is a different episode. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that sometime. We have lots to say about that. Now, did you want to tell us a little bit about your own 90s birthday experience? I would. And I I just want to say something that struck me about this book was how casual and accepted the notion of a kid birthday celebration would be in 1775. Is that when we're at in this book now? The series starts in 74, and this is April 75. And your girl Felicity full on has a birthday week. I mean, it's kind of wild. Like, she truly is that girl who's like, um, it's my birthday week. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, grandpa's visiting. It's not an easy trip. If you recall from episode two, Polly was born during the stress of traveling to grandpa's. Yeah. And you know what? There's no way grandpa's honoring all these is keeping tabs on all these grandchildren birthdays. Like, I just don't see it. I mean, I think he has the dates casually written in the inside cover of his Bible. But I think and he like checks every once in a while and is like, oh, right, Nan. Like, you know, Nan is not getting the due that she deserves. I just know that. Oh, no, no. And, you know, we're getting all these casual references to William, like not putting in work. He's three. <laughs> so just- it's so dark. I just feel like I would never make it in this family. And I'm actually okay with that. Um, I did try to do some research on when the tradition of having a kid party started. So we know that the the celebration they have at the end of the book for Felicity isn't a kid party as we know it. But I mean, it is a real tried and true celebration, dedicated celebration with sweets and everything else to her birthday. Um, something that's weird about that is like, they all seem to know that she was going to sleep past noon and we're just like waiting around in the parlor for her to appear. So that seemed weird to me. But anyway, that's an aside. But it did make me reflect back on what are the origin of kid parties. Now, I have found some research on this that I just want to say from the jump is not what I would call reputable, but that's not going to stop me from sharing it on this show. So nope. I mean, I think that what I've learned from this is that a history of birthdays is sorely needed. And I would love to just make a call to a historian out there who feels strongly about this. Like, please, like, share your, put your talents to this task. Um, I did find a reference to something called Kinderfest, which started in the 18th century in Germany, which was to celebrate a child's birth with a cake um, and candles. And there would be candles um, for each number of years of the child's life with an additional candle candle to signify that the child would live another year, which as you can imagine was very loaded in those times when that was actually probably a real concern, more much more than now. Um, and, you know, and so on. But there's not there's not much of a trail for kid parties, but it did make me reflect back. So I was seven, I guess, when this book came out or maybe six And, um, I had an American girl birthday party and I think that 
something like from 90s nostalgia for me is like the way that kid parties were then is so far different in many ways from the way they are now in large part because technology was different like you know as Allison as you mentioned my birthday is at the end of July and I remember sending out my actual like hard copy paper invitations for people to come to my house and being so nervous, you know, that like no one was going to come and putting, you know, my parents landline phone number on the invitation, which like, again, that's gone. Um, and having yeah. people call and like hopefully leave a message on my answering machine and then like wanting people to come and have a good time. And I remember, you know, my parents were not into a lot of like cool kids had parties at places that were designed to have kid parties. And like Super Club, that's kind of like a local reference. Did you have Super Club? No, but we had Discovery Zone. Okay, yep. I remember that too. But like, you know, like places where you could go and run around and do stuff. And it was basically for, you know, to build parents out of money to entertain some kids. And you would create goodie bags and all this stuff. My parents were very into like your party being at home and having, um, you know, like a favor or a craft that we would do at the party together. And when I was, I want to say seven or eight, I had an American girl birthday party and my parents, my mom and my grandmother, my very beloved grandmother after who I'm named, who I called Fluffy, um, you know, one of my favorite people in the world, um, went to the Christmas tree shop, which is like, that's one of my safe spaces. I love to walk. I love to walk around a Christmas tree shop. It's just like, it's got all the answers. It has no questions, but it's got all the answers. And they bought these like little straw hats that were for dolls. And then the like I had friends over and we all like brought our dolls and dressed up, which I was probably less into. And we decorated the hats and then had kind of a party with our dolls and some cake. And it was a really, I just remember it being a really sweet memory. And I, I did ask my mom if she could find some photos of it. So if I can, if we can, we'll we'll post some of them just so you can. But I would love to know if anyone else had an American Girl party or like just what kind of crazy 90s themes you had for your party. I also had a Olympic party in 1996 when the Atlantic Summer Olympics were happening. I remember being very into that. But I also remember, this is what I remember about this birthday party. One, there's probably a story I shouldn't tell where my neighbor was like really inappropriate at my party when we played pin the tail on the donkey and basically showed that she was more grown up than the rest of us when she was like, this is where I'm going to, I'm going to put it right on the donkey's X. And my grandma was absolutely horrified and was just like, I'm horrified. She was like, I knew that girl was a bad egg. I knew it. She lived right across the street from me. She was kind of wild. You always have that one friend who's like a little bit, knows stuff that like kids your age shouldn't know and you're a little bit afraid, but also like want more information. Felicity. But anyway, what I remember from this is I I was going to a school at that point where there was only, we, there was one class in our whole grade. It was like 20 kids. So you kind of had to invite every girl in the class, even if it was like not your dream. So there was this one girl in the class who was never that nice to me. And I had to invite her because I invited everybody. She came to my house and she gave me for a gift. Now, again, I'm not like a possessions person. Wasn't then. Am not now. She gave me Chinese checkers, which like, fine, great game, whatever. And I already actually own Chinese checkers. I really enjoyed it. So in the aftermath of this party, my grandma one day is like an outing. She would We would often wear matching sweatsuits and go to Ames. That was one of our activities. So my grandma wore a sweatsuit every day with a gold chain and white Nikes and drove a black Cadillac. Like that's just who she was. Um, just 
Just to be clear, you shaded people who dressed like their moms in the previous it's episode. Different. And now you're like, it's different. Going we were wrong. like a crew. It's, fine. it's, it's totally fine. different. It's fine. There was no Paisley involved. There was no, like, I'm talking about we wore Hanes sweatsuits. It's not helping. But okay. I, I it was like, in my mind, I thought we were like LL Cool J in the 80s, like that level cool. We were like, I no, guess we I, weren't, but it's like, man, like it felt like we were like a click. Like it didn't feel like it was like mom daughter stuff or like we were trying to be in a catalog. It felt like we were just out there. Like we were just, I don't know, man, it felt different. And I understand that it doesn't sound good, but it felt very different. No, it's cool. Felicity needed a, a grandma to keep her. Yeah, in line. she needed it. Too bad grandma was past RIP. Um, so anyway, my. Where was grandpa the night oh, she died? God, I, I know. know. I mean. Susan Simpson. Where was Adnan? Anyway. Um, All I want to say is I brought myself to Ames, okay? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to get like a really cool game. I'm going to get like this, that, whatever. My grandma and I go up to return the game. This was a girl who was like my nemesis. She was never nice to me in school. The woman is like, yeah, um, the Chinese checkers cost $1.99. (laughs) <laughs> and um actually it was on sale so she paid 99 cents <laughs> and i just like stood there with that moment i was like wow this girl who hates me spent 99 cents on chinese checkers and it's not about the money because you know some people do the best they can with what they have this girl actually came from a lot of money so it's like she just went out of her way to disrespect me and my grandma and i both responded like mob bosses where we were like how dare she disrespect our family like this how dare she disrespect me like this it literally went on for years that my grandma would be like remember the chinese checkers i'd be like yup i remember she'd be like never let anyone disrespect you like that i'm like thank you this was our relationship it was like completely insane and like all of these references but it was like how dare you come to my american girl birthday party you disrespect me like that she could have just made me a card that would have been more meaningful instead she had to go out of her way just be like you're worth 99 cents to me thanks bye so you had an annabelle uh i for sure had an annabelle this chick was such bad news i can't even tell you she was so mean to me and for no i basically transferred into the school in fourth grade and she'd been going there since kindergarten so i kind of walked in on a situation where everyone was already friends and my brother had been going there for a year and then i started i basically was like do not send me there i don't want to wear a uniform it was a catholic school It's like, I just need to wear jeans. Like then as now, I was like, I want to be comfortable in a jean or like a matching sweatsuit, whatever. Can I bring my grandma to school? And it wasn't (laughs) in the books. And it was just, you know, it was like mean girls kind of stuff. And so the fact that I had to have this mean girl to my house was already strike one. But then I was always trying to, I was always thinking I was turning the corner with her. And then it was like Chinese checkers, 99 cents. Like you think you're going somewhere. You think you're going to be friends. And then... She's just not that into me, brah, in a, like, platonic friend girl, like, mean girl way. But, yeah, man, Fluffy, like, really, that really, that stuck with her for a long time. So I'll tell you my most memorable. It's not 90s, but it's early aughts. My birthday was 10 days after 9-11. Oh, my God. I mean, you know, I have it every year, 10 days after 9-11 now. And one particular, well, obviously in 2001, It was probably the biggest birthday party I'd ever had, and it had been planned for a while, and it was a sleepover with a bunch of other people, and we did a dress-up sort of like pageant, and 
my mother and a fellow nurse friend had gone to the World Trade Center to try to see if they could be of help. And they wanted to take pictures because they thought it was important to document what they were seeing and what they hoped they'd be assisting with. The pictures from our pageant and those 9-11 pictures got double exposed. <gasps> Again, this is a thing that would not happen now. This is a relic of 18, 19 years ago. And they are some of the creepiest pictures you'll ever see because it's all girls who are 13, 14, or I guess 12 also, double exposed on top of photos of 9-11. <gasps> oh, my God. I mean, I, I really want to see these photos, point one. Um, point two, props to Mama Donna for going to ground zero to serve point three like should this not be some kind of art exhibit at this point like i feel like yeah when it happened they were just such striking pictures because a lot of them are also us doing sort of like vogue poses you know and again we're all like early teenagers but not quite teenagers and um you know like wearing like silly dresses and things and it's like double exposed on top of the landscape so they, they really are striking. They're actual photographs, so I'd have to find them. But um, most of my, my birthdays were pretty boring as a September baby. Everyone's starting the school year again, so they're not ready to, you know, commit to your friend group. I mean, I guess I'm just shocked by the notion that you would have like a pageant birthday party. It just seems like so not like a thing you would like. But I guess like maybe I don't know. Maybe it's like really right on with your theme. Well, you get credit for one of my best birthday parties ever, which was my John Benet Ramsey case solving birthday party. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one. See, that's like your brand to me is like true crime, birthday cake. And then I think I invented a game for that a bingo, something like that. Yeah. And we had a rest and power cake, which I felt yeah. really was important. It was important because you know what? Not unlike 9-11, we will never forget. No, I won't forget either. Felicity will never forget saving the gunpowder magazine. She won't. And you know what? Though she be at this stage of the game, let me see here, 253 years young, yep. we'll never forget her. We'll never forget. So I want to I wanna leave us on a cliffhanger. In the next story, it's summer, and Felicity's friend Ben runs away. Thank God. <laughs> Will And the question is, will Felicity help Ben or tell her father where he is? My question is, will anyone miss him when he, he's gone? Yeah, I don't I don't think anyone's going to call. I know. In the, is it because no. he wants to join the militia? That was like a thing in this book that we learned that you can't join the militia. You can't enlist if you're an apprentice. Oh, yeah. And it was like snooze. Yeah, next. I don't really care. I mean, he's not even an apprentice. What is he even doing? I mean, do something Kimmy Gibbler style and then get back to us. I couldn't agree more. Thank you, Kimmy. Andrea. Thank you, Kimmy. Beautiful flower. Um, if people want to connect with you and they want to share 90s birthday parties, Kimmy Gibbler intel, where should they find you on all the socials? So please come find me at Instagram at Mimi Mahoney. Um, not unlike the emancipation of and on Twitter at Mary Mahoney one, two, three love to chat with you about Ames, 90s birthday parties, pretty much whatever. Now, I'm also on Twitter, and I'm on there as Allison Horrocks. You can find my spelling wherever you find this podcast. And we are also on Twitter under A Girls Pod. And we are on Instagram, where we love hearing from you at American Girls Podcast. 
And if you could, if you can just take a moment and go to the iTunes store and rate our show and review it, it really helps people find our show. So thank you in advance for your help. Bye. Bye. Thank you.